Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. Can you believe it is only 10 a.m., friends? What a morning it's been. The president of the United States referred to a private citizen and, of course, black woman as that dog this morning on Twitter. You're watching AM to DM. Here's the tweet. When you give a crazed, crying lowlife a break and give her a job at the White House, I guess it just didn't work out, which that's a sentence. Uh, good work by General Kelly for quickly firing that dog. To which you, Isaac, replied, who needs tapes? Who needs tapes? Who needs secret tapes? At who the needs tapes? Listen, just again, to break it down, mm. the president is denying saying the N-word while calling a black woman that dog. Who needs tapes? The dogs aren't even whistling anymore, darling. I mean, I just, again and again, Maya Angelou, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And that has been true for Trump for the last, you know, 50 years, but hey. certainly throughout his presidency. <laughs> We've been having the tapes. Yeah. Here's the latest on those tapes, though, from CBS This Morning. The president says former White House staffer Omarosa lied when she called him a racist who has said the N-word on tape. But a new recording obtained by CBS News overnight seems to back up Omarosa's story that several Trump advisors discussed an alleged tape during the 2016 campaign. But to Isaac's point, you know, what changes at this point, right? Amina, so you tweeted this. Uh, this man said grab him by the pussy and still got elected. A tape of him saying the N-word changes what exactly? Yeah, put another way, Megan Amram, you said, I can't believe that there's taped proof that Trump's a horrible person. And the tapes cover like 10 years. And they are widely available. And they're actually a TV show that he created. <laughs> you can watch it, you can DVR it. It's also called CNN. You know, you just like need more backup, more data. Well, uh, here's a tweet from our next guest, the incredible, the wonderful Sarita McFadden. She said, never needed Omarosa to verify some shit I already been new. Mm. Writer and cultural critic Sarita McFadden joins us now. Good morning, Sarita. Good morning, guys. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Amazing times. Listen, it's already been quite a morning. I want to know, Sarita, what were your first thoughts when you saw the president's That Dog tweet? Listen, I mean, I would like, I guess it's a hard sigh and an eye roll. I mean, like, of course, like, we easily substitute that dog for that bitch. And, like, we all, like, come on, bruh. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know what else can, it will take for, to shock the nation into some sort of collective action to remove this person from office who fails to recognize the values that we hold dear. Right. So, yeah, and I, I agree with you at this point, like, shock is not... I'm like, yeah, I'm, in, I'm immune to shock. Immune to shock. What's there to be shocked about? Exactly. So then the question becomes, and this is what I was talking to Isaac about this morning, where do we go from here? Because I don't want to put myself, at least, in a position where I go, yeah, he's just saying stuff, and I act like, you know, it's not even significant, like I don't care. But where does the conversation go when, again, he keeps revealing uh, this part of himself as a president? Well, you know, it's a great question because I honestly don't know the answer anymore. I mean, to a certain degree, we've all tried to do this mature like operation in, in terms of trying to downplay and ignore these kind of childish rantings of a madman that happens to hold the codes to the nuclear um, to nuclear uh, bombs. So that hasn't necessarily worked to try and like debunk and 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 protest every single instance of things that he said um, or policies that he enacts still hasn't managed to galvanize the kind of national outrage and solidarity of protest and resistance from the, from the American public. Yeah. I like, it's an existential crisis for, uh, for Americans right now. And there's you know, what was that last CBS poll that came out over the weekend that showed that 90% of Democratic-leaning voters are, like, oh, horrified about this president and his uh, handling of racial issues, and 83% of Republicans are really cool? It, like, in terms of, like, 
I don't know what we can, I don't know other than what we can do besides go to the ballot box, continue to do the resistance work that we're, that many groups have already been actively engaged in, in addition to, um, you know, again, attempting with, you know, without necessarily coddling folks who hold viewpoints that are are unsavory, if not flat out racist to us. If there's an opening for a conversation and a debate that actually brings everybody to the to the idea of embracing in a true like a, a a plural more inclusive American identity, that means to say that we can do that the values that we hold dear need to be upheld more more over than the rantings and ramblings of this president. I don't like I don't I don't I don't know. And Serena, you. That's- you, you almost made me start waving an American flag there. That is like... Well, well, here's why I say that. Yeah. Like, you remember in 20... I want to say early 2017, the South Korean people were able to remove their president. And, uh, and primarily why that action worked. Millions of people were out on the street showing a solidarity for a South Korean identity. The South Korean president was corrupt. Um, the South Korean president had um, done... Like, you know, I'm spotty on all the details, but what like in terms of like the degrees of what the corruption was, but the people, the people went out, protested by them in the millions with waving South Korean flags and were able to remove that president from power and have somebody there in that office that reflected their values. That reflected their values. Sarita, I wanted to ask a little bit about the media and the role that they play in all of this. Uh, it took the media a long time to call the president a racist. Uh, some people still do They still try. Yeah, they still try. <laughs> yeah, could you speak on that? I mean, I. it's complicated, but that's American identity for you, right? It's complicated. <laughs> um, the American media, because like, and I, and I chalk this up to, you know, I talk this back up to management and editors and folks who are much more worried about whatever access in terms of the folks that they interview for reporting, um, reporting on these issues um, to, you know, folks in the business end who are really worried about losing advertising dollars. I don't know why it's necessary to coddle the feeling, the feelings and, and, and uncomfortableness of calling exactly what this is in this climate. We're calling things racist when they are, in fact, racist. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't understand why. I mean, I do understand. Mm-hmm. I know it's a lot of d- to deal with white fragility and discomfort about actually confronting the, the, the monster that is racism and how it mutates and transmutates and changes and s- makes itself subtle and makes itself overt. And it's, it's so elastic that I understand that a lot of white people in America are very uncomfortable about confronting the issue head on. And that is, but we need some moral fortitude here. Mm -hmm. We need like, you have to address it with clarity. It's not, it's not a skeptic, like it's not an opinion. It's a fact. We've seen evidence of how the policies of this administration actually assert a racist agenda, a white supremacist agenda. And we just need to speak more directly to that and will educate the, the public for that purpose. I'm glad that some folks in the media are actually, you know, from the, from columnists like Charles Blow, who had been con- pretty consistent from the election period had um, through now in calling Trump out on his race to Jamel Hill. Um, but it's good to see that some folks within our mainstream media and our, like, you know, our, you know, like the great from the gray lady on starting to like find the right kind of AP approved language to call the president a racist. But still, that's what like, it just, it needs courage. It needs to be spoken to directly. And we need to not, oh, wait, that's something my grandmother would say, pussyfoot around the issue. (laughs) (laughs) Need to have some courage and some moral fortitude. Yeah, thank you, Sarita, so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you speaking your truth today. And and then- and thank you, Sarita. Thank you, guys. And, and the point that she's drawing to Jamel Hill, because, you know, however you feel about Omarosa herself as a media entity, it's not just Omarosa we've seen this with. We've seen it with countless athletes, Jamel Hill herself. And I have a tweet here from LSB that said, listen, bruh, uh, Trump showed us who he was during the Central Park Five. Yep. And there it is. This is not a new phenomenon for this man. 
Well, let's talk about something less bizarre, complicated, <laughs> indicative oh, really? of life in 2018. Oh, really? Uh, Acelia Banks. <laughs> Here's a tweet from New York Times reporter Shira Frankel. So, uh, Azealia Banks sat at Elon Musk's house for days waiting for Grimes, who did not show up because she was hand-holding her boyfriend, Elon Musk, over being high on acid and tweeting about taking his company public? Question mark? What, what? Question mark. What? Allegedly high on acid. Allegedly high on acid. Josh Barrow had quite a revelation tweeting, Oh God, if the SEC brings action against Elon Musk, there are going to be depositions of Grimes and Azealia Banks. At this point, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> And here, friends, is where I ask the question that is applicable every morning on AM to DM. How did we get here? Oh, how did, how did we get here? <laughs> what did we do wrong? Our next guest, uh, Kate Taylor, a reporter at Business Insider, she has a unique perspective on all of this. She tweeted, I talked to Azealia Banks about her weekend at Elon's. Okay. There it is. So let's talk to Kate. <laughs> she joins us now. Kate, good morning. Hey, guys. <laughs> so how'd you end up interviewing Azealia Banks? How'd you get in touch? So I just slid into her DMs. Um, basically, I don't report a ton on Tesla, but with so much Tesla news, um, I was like, you know what? I can slide into her DMs and see if she's willing to give more details. I'd seen the Instagram stories, and I and I think a lot of people wanted to know more. Absolutely. And listen, for, for people who, unlike me, didn't stay up past their bedtimes trying to read and find all of the Instagram stories, can you kind of concisely break down this, this saga? <laughs> yes. So there is a lot there. Um, the rundown is pretty much that Azalea Banks went to L.A. from New York. She and Grimes are supposed to collaborate on a song. She got to one of Elon Musk's house houses, many houses, in LA, um, and Grimes basically disappeared with Elon, um, and she was just there for the weekend, um, waiting for Grimes to come back. According to her, Grimes kind of went MIA because Elon was freaking out about getting investors for taking Tesla private. Hmm. I mean, how, how does that happen? I'm, I'm sorry, this is a real, this is a from my heart question. I feel like I hang out, like here on AIM to DM, we have celebrities, they come in, they have a whole entourage, they are in and out in under like seven minutes. Like, how is it that you just end up hanging out, waiting? It sounds like an eighth grade sleepover gone so awry. Even then your mom would come and pick you up at least within 24 hours. How did that, I'm sorry, how does that happen? Honestly, it is a wild ride. Like. And she is posting these stories, or at least at the beginning, she's still in the house. Mm -hmm. So she's in one of Elon Musk's house. He is not responding to these stories. He's not responding to her, at least at first. So it's it's a very bizarre situation. Um, it, it honestly feels like Mad Libs. It's like, how can we get these three people connected? Like when Grimes and Elon Musk started dating, that felt weird enough in uh -huh. the first place. Yeah, I love it. I love it. 2018 Mad Lips. That should be, someone should trademark that. Um, I guess, have we heard from Elon Musk himself or from Grimes herself? Because again, you know, a lot of this is coming from Azilia. Yes. So Elon Musk, all he has said to me is through a spokesperson that he has not met her. And um, there were some references to drug use. He's his spokesperson said that that was, quote, utter nonsense. Um, but beyond that, he has not responded. Um, he has been pretty busy with Tesla stuff, it seems like. So we will see if he ever kind of talks openly about this and what went down at his house over the weekend. All right. And Kate, before we let you go, I got to ask, do we know where Azalea is now? Is she still in the house? She's out of the house. She got out of the house. She told me she got out of the house on Sunday night. She's like, People say that I'm still there. I am out of the house. So rest easy with that. All right. She's, she's making her way dead for the Jenner complex. <laughs> All right. Well, Kate, um, I'm glad you were able to talk to her at the heart of the story. Thanks for joining us this morning. Of course. This is like a movie. This is a wild movie. I want the security tapes. I want Ooh. just Azalea Banks just kind of going through the cupboards, Ooh. walking down the hallways, uh -huh. crashing on the couch. I think Doreen St. Felix tweeted like all this surveillance going on and we ain't got tapes yet. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> but it's it a is. morning. Release the tapes. It's a morning. Release it is, all the tapes. It is like a... Azalea Banks, she's a lot of things. Entertaining is one of them. Mm. Let's take it to the timeline. Pitch is a concept for a television show. A yes. television show starring Azalea Banks. Uh, let us know what it would be using the hashtag AM2. 
If we're being honest, we'd probably watch Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> Can I find it on iTunes? Is it Amazon? I'm ready to subscribe. Well, friends, again, it has been such a morning, and we're just getting started. Uh, we'll have fire tweets when we come back. But first, uh, we want to talk about this. Don't forget, you can also follow us on AM to DM, hunties. You can follow us on Instagram. That's right. It's the same username as on Twitter, AM, the number two, DM. Yeah, you can catch clips, interviews, exclusives, look at our green rooms, whatever. It's Me and Saeed being backstage, being hecka <laughs> cute. I'm a makeup artist now. Yeah, he's a makeup artist. Regime. Go check it out. Anyway, we'll see you on Instagram, and we'll be back after this break. <laughs> Welcome back. Got a tweet here from Cini Martinez. How Azalea Banks inserts herself into our consciousness. Truly. Right in there. Slips in. And I'll I love that gift. Because I was listening to her this morning. Her songs, uh, Anna Winter and uh, the Big 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 Bad Beat, they're bangers. Because <laughs> that's the thing for Azalea Banks. She may be a mess, but the music is never not. Mm. Okay. Complicated. Complicated. Let's burn it down. She contains multitudes. Burn some right. sage. <laughs> this tweet comes from Dwayne Perkins. Does being an ex expire? I feel like if we dated when I was 17, you should not call me your ex. Stop playing. I'm a different person. We are strangers again. That's a great point. Yeah, man. Nothing but facts. That's a Nothing great point. but facts. I also, I, my pet peeve is also when like we're like I'm, you know, in my early, we're in our early 30s now and people are still talking about their exes in college. I'm like, sweetie, it was a decade ago. I'm almost like, listen, if the ex was even ago. last year, but it was a bad thing, like keep my name out your mouth. <laughs> Sunset Clause. Sunset Clause. Boog, you tweeted, me, hits rock bottom. Welp, it can't get any worse. Rock bottom's older brother. Is this the guy that hit you? <laughs> me. Oh, no. <laughs> and 2018 is the rock bottom's big brother. 2018's coming around like, oh, what? You talking shit about my little rock? I'm sorry, little rock. Cover your ears. Yeah, 2018 is totally the big brother. All right, this comes from Don't Pick Me. <laughs> Trying to sell Michael Sarah as a sex symbol is one of the most violating experiences of white supremacy. <gasps> now, he's a wonderful actor. I saw him on Broadway earlier, and he's great. Who, who's trying to do this? I will, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good point. Because that is, a, that's wrong. But who's, wrong try, who's trying? We should look it up. This would be perfect in the, in the, in, in, to be transparent, it's very likely that there is a BuzzFeed post talking about Michael Sarah being like hot. That, we that, am, is, that probably exists. We so. am what we am. All right, let's I do this write. next one. <laughs> I didn't write. Uh, Michael, you tweeted, in the first Mission Impossible, they mentioned that Ethan's parents have a farm. And I would watch a movie about Ethan's farmer parents who are glad their very weird and intense son found his calling. <laughs> I'm sorry, I would watch that movie too. I watched the most recent Mission Impossible. You liked it. I really enjoyed it. Could I think you imagine all the injuries and stuff like a young Ethan Could Cotton you imagine if that was your kid? <laughs> no. And they're like, oh, this guy's definitely not planting seeds. Yeah. He is, oh, he's gonna Scaling the barn <laughs> without a rope. Like, it's just all that. <laughs> keeps, keeps jumping off the hay bales. You get it. Oh, incredible. Well, Tweet Day comes from, I love this username, Dirt Prince. Mm. <laughs> just, hey. I hate when my friend starts dating an idiot and I have to be like, how could you bring this man into our lives? <laughs> now here's the thing, I could use this as an opportunity to subtweet some friends, there we go. Um, but I'm gonna say this, a democracy is a relationship. How could you bring this man into our lives is what I've been saying since 2016. Oh, wow. That's exactly how I feel. Brought it from the personal to the political. I yep. really enjoyed it. Speaking of men we don't want in our lives, up next, <laughs> we're going live from the district. Ah! <laughs> Not ask what you can do for your country, ask what your country is doing to you. We're going live from the district right now with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Emma Loop. Emma, quite a morning. Um, I wanted to ask you, what strikes you as more wild, the news surrounding Omarosa or Peter Strzok? Yes, you have to choose. I don't want to choose. They're both <laughs> so crazy. Um, I think I would have to go... Omarosa, though. I mean, she was recording people in this situation room. 
And, you know, the president is on a tirade now about her on Twitter. So I think I'd have to go with Omarosa. She is. She is winning the drama oh, fight. Yeah. And we did. We talked about it in A Block. <laughs> so we are going to uh, talk a little struck. It's time, it's time, I'm sorry. I have to strike a chord. I was going to do a th <laughs> thunder strike. All right, anyways, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. FBI's Peter Strzok, who sent anti-Trump texts and has faced Trump's rage, has been fired. Emma, why is Strzok being let go now? So apparently, according to his lawyer, uh, the Office of Professional Responsibility, which is kind of this office that, um, you know, oversees employee conduct, um, requested that he face a, a 60 day suspension and then a demotion from supervisory duties. But then the FBI deputy director came in and said, no, you're fired. And then this is all according to Strzok's lawyer. So we haven't really heard from the FBI yet about what their view is on this. Okay. But they think okay. that this is what happened. Okay. Yeah. And there's, there's just a lot of confusion. Um, Strzok also has a Go, GoFundMe page. What, what's the story there? Yeah, and it's racking up money. Um, it's already at $250,000, and it was launched yesterday. So tons of money, especially if you compare it to someone like George Papadopoulos, who also has a GoFundMe page, and it's, I think, maybe in the hundreds of dollars at this point. And, and, and then the idea is to pay struck. for... Yeah. <laughs> and so everyone's just doing... Is the idea to pay for, like, legal fees, or...? Uh, it, yeah, I think so. I think legal fees and, and whatever else he needs in the in the meantime. All right. All right. Now, now the the fiery like the hearing that that really did get fired up happened only a month ago. Are you surprised by how quickly this happened? Not really. I think you know. I kind of we I think we all expected this to happen, um, or you know, for him to face a demotion of some sort. But this is, you know, this is obviously really politically charged. The president has tweeted about Strzok repeatedly. Uh, the FBI was in a position where, you know, it was a very high profile case. And so, you know, they had to do something. Um, the fact that it happens now, I mean, it, it makes sense. I wasn't terribly surprised uh, that it happened now. Okay. And that's, that's always helpful with people who mm -hmm. like her on this reporting regularly when, to know if you're surprised, if you're not. Um, well, here's another tweet from BuzzFeed News. Uh, Peter Strzok's legal team has confirmed that the account on the left uh, is uh, actually Peter Strzok. So that one's real that we have on camera right now. And the account on the right, all right, this one is a fake. Notice the, is that the underscore? Yeah. That's underscore a is a fake. And that's a lot of retweets. That is a lot of retweets. And I, and I have to say, I saw a lot of smart, reasonable people sharing the fake Peter Strzok tweet yesterday. So I wanted to ask you, Emma, uh, what is it about that tweet that made it so believable? Right. I had the same thing. Way too many smart, respectable people in my timeline retweeting that. Um, and it's just it's a lesson, right? You have to check these things to make sure that they're legit before you uh, before you smash the RT. But, uh, you know, the thing that made it believable is that I, I think you've seen a lot of these former kind of intelligence or law enforcement officials, whether it's John Brennan or, you know, someone else like that who's been fired or ousted from the from the intelligence community, maybe James Comey, come out and make some pretty politically charged statements about the president, some pretty strong statements about the president. And so I think it wasn't, you know, totally crazy to think that Peter Strzok was coming out and calling the president a dictator but of course that wasn't him and actually they've changed the handle now it says at like not peter struck or something now so you can tell more easily i think they came forward after they got all the retweets mm. well here's a very real tweet from bobby goodlatt i'm deeply embarrassed that peter struck's career was ruined by my father's political grandstanding that committee hearing was a low point for congress thank you for your service sir you are a patriot Emma, just yesterday on the show, we were talking about family members with government ties calling each other out. So what's the significance here? <laughs> the significance is that the next family barbecue is going to be lit, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving is going to be a mess. <laughs> It's uh, it's pretty notable that your son is coming after you like this. And, and 
actively stumping for the Democratic candidate trying to take your spot in Congress. So it's it's a pretty big deal. Absolutely. I mean, I would imagine given how frequently um, politicians use their family members, you know, when they're campaigning to put forth the public image, it's not a good look when your own kids are like, don't do it, girl. Um, so I wanted to ask this. Uh, what is good lack of the great state of Virginia, uh, what's his relationship to Strzok? How does this all fit together? So Goodlatte is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and when Strzok went before Congress last month, it was before the Judiciary Committee and as well as the uh, the Oversight Committee. They did kind of a joint hearing. And so Goodlatte was the one basically running this hot mess of a hearing with Peter Strzok. Okay. Well, uh, Emma, thank you so much for joining us from Omarosa's Situation Room. <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. This cool. is my Situation Room. <laughs> situation Room. Fair, fair, fair. Okay. It I is lovely. It, it looks very, great, very, girl. Yeah. I love those bookcases. Thanks. Thank you, Emma. All right. Up next, uh, Stephanie is going to talk to Zola founder and CEO, Sean Lynn Ma. I know everyone loves this wedding app. Mm. Shout out to Ashley Ford. Has some nuptials coming up soon. Stay tuned for that conversation. Weddings are a $72 billion industry. I'm joined now by someone who is taking this industry by storm, Zola founder and CEO, Shanlin Ma. Shan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me here. So I first heard of Zola in 2016 when I was planning my own wedding. I used Zola for my wedding registry when I was getting married. I definitely put way too many things on it. Uh, but you guys are expanding now. Just last week, you announced a line of customizable invitations and saved the date. So what made you want to expand into that area of the wedding industry? It was actually being asked for by our couples and our users. Uh, it was the number one request that we were getting after we launched our wedding website product last year. Uh, people would ask us, you know, I would love to buy wedding invitations that match my wedding website on Zola. Can you just give me a way to print them out there and then? And so we, um, we've been working on it for the last few months and realized that it made a lot of sense since we also had people managing their guest list with us, their wedding website, their registry, and they wanted everything in the one place. It just kind of makes sense to, you know, it's the next yes. step. Yes. I totally get it. So obviously in a lot of heterosexual marriages, it's a man and a woman that are getting married, mm -hmm. but I think the wedding industry is still pitched as a female-centric industry. And you've talked about the challenges of pitching a product mostly used by women to a room full of all-male VCs. Is there one moment that sticks out to you in particular that was a challenge? You know, there was, uh, actually I would get quite often um, some investors say, I'm not quite sure about this market because I didn't set up the wedding registry myself when I was getting married. So let me ask my wife or my assistant what they think. Uh, ultimately, that was not the investors that we picked to invest in Zola, but it was a common refrain and something that I know other female founders hear as well. And so now I think it's just a good indicator of who, which investor is gonna be a good fit for your business. Um, ideally, someone who doesn't say that. For sure. Uh, so how has the dynamic changed now that Zola is valued so highly? And going through that experience, what could you say to another woman who is trying to pitch an uh, industry that maybe male VCs won't exactly understand? I would say that uh, finding the right investor is just as much a search that you're doing to make the right decision for yourself as it is to try and find someone who will give you money. I think often many founders think, oh, I, I just need to find someone who will give me money and then I'm good to go. When in fact, what is just as important is that you find the right match for you as a founder in your business. And so now I think, um, my advice to any founder is really meet as many investors as possible that you think will be the right partner for your business. And you will get many people uh, clearly standing out from the first conversation as people that you want to talk more with. And then you'll get some people that you, you might mutually agree this is not the right fit. It's not personal. Um, it's business and you 
you owe it to yourself and your company to have a wide range of conversations with investors. And hopefully, uh, as entrepreneurs become a little more diverse, hopefully VCs will become a little more diverse as well. So before you launched Solo, you were with Gil, and one of the things I had read is you've talked a lot about how you started Gilt Taste and the failure of that and how that has taught you things in launching Zola. And I thought that was a really important lesson. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. At Gilt, I think what I learned and what I saw was that there was a product that customers really loved. There was a huge emotion and demand. And I've, I've heard the word love very often there from many of the users. And so I thought that is special and whatever I do next, we wanna make sure we have the same thing. But at Guilt, the big lesson that I did not wanna replicate was around how can we um, avoid business model challenges that we saw in Guilt. Um, so for example, in the Guilt Taste business model, I think we ran into some challenges around unit economics as it relates to shipping costs, which were very high when you're shipping food. And I think many food um, delivery services are, are seeing the same challenge. And, and so the, the business model there did not quite work. At Zola, we thought, what is a wedding registry product and a wedding planning product that, that users love, that they are going to share with their friends? But also, what is a business model that works for the wedding registry business? And I think we were able to create that uh, by taking a lot of the lessons from Guilt around you know, inventory, shipping, um, marketplace dynamics, and, and improve on them in the Zola business. Taking lessons that you learned from failure and creating something that's even bigger success is very powerful. Uh, you've talked a lot about how it's important to keep good mental health while you know you're doing things that might fail, that running a huge business, you've talked about journal, meditating, exercise. How can young entrepreneurs make sure to do self-care when they're doing this huge undertaking? I think the, the five-minute journal that I, I think you're referencing is something that I've heard people do um, either you know, the five-minute journal or they do a different form of that where they think about you know, at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, what are they grateful for? What are they um, excited about for the coming day and then in retrospect for the past day? And I think that form of reflection uh, really helps you take you out of the business and take you out of the 24-7 um, focus that you often have in a startup. And ju actually just this past weekend, I was at a friend's wedding and one of my friends who I have not seen for many years, but who is also in a very demanding job, um, told me that she heard that I did the five minute journal. She started doing it and she actually found that it made a huge difference. And I think that that, that five minute space that you create for yourself um, has really helped myself and in fact I've heard it help a lot of other people as well uh, because if you don't take that five minutes for yourself you will be giving 24-7 to everything else but yourself. So true and speaking of mental health uh, people talk about the wedding industrial complex that it can be really stressful for women. It's billed as the most important day of a woman's life. And I know for me personally, that was really stressful for me. It wasn't good for me mentally on my mental health. So what do you think the wedding industry can do to make it more of a feminist tradition and you know, take away that sexist element of it has to be the most impactful day of a woman's life and I guess make over the wedding industry for the next generation? So what you just mentioned is exactly why I am so excited to be working on Zola in the wedding industry every single day. Um, our mission is really to serve couples, whether it be a heterosexual couple or any kind of couple, from the day they get engaged through that first year of marriage. And I do think a lot of wedding tools and products have really been designed decades ago um, and are not serving today's woman. 
And so we really design our products knowing that couples today, are unlike any previous generation, they want very different things. They're very busy. They have a lot going on. They don't necessarily want to just follow the path well trodden. And so we're trying to educate and share with couples who are many of them are getting married for the first time and let them know you can get married however you want. You can register for whatever you want and we are here to help you decide what's right for you. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Shan, thank for you. coming on and talking about everything with us. More AM to DM is up next. <laughs> All right, friends, this is The Sit Down. I'm here with Ronnie Chang, one of the stars of Crazy Rich hey. Asians is here. Got fabulous socks. Thanks so much. I'm loving this. Oh, I like the blue. Yeah, this it's, my, it's my face. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. To, okay, we have to. I'll hook you up for sure, yeah. Ronnie Chang. Taylor's talk later. Yeah. Um, so, listen, you, first of all, congratulations. Thanks this so much. This movie is, it's, it's going to be big. It is already big, and it's going to make... Uh, really important changes for a lot of people, frankly, like who are excited to see. Yeah, movies. yeah, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, it, we need it, it. yeah. I mean, uh, it's a predominant, predominantly Asian cast. I mean, mm -hmm. in fact, the whole cast is Asian. Yeah, uh, it's telling a Asian story. What, what I really like about it is that it, it shows Asian culture without yeah. being very heavy-handed. Right. You know, it doesn't over-explain. It right. just kind of like we we have a scene where we're making uh, dumplings, but we don't like. Uh -huh. Explain what dumplings are, or what the history of how. Right. Yeah, we just yeah. do it. Just we do just, it. Yeah, we just, just do, do it. it. And people, people get it. And yeah. and I think that's the key. I mean, that's what you're getting towards. Yeah. Is that this movie kind of shows people that people will get behind mm -hmm. like cultures they don't know about right. if there's authenticity. Exactly. People will get behind it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. As I've been watching uh, interviews you and your castmates have been doing, yeah. you know, inevitably there's the okay. It's been 25 years since there's been a film like this. You know, Joy Luck Club, yeah. pay homage, um, and, and and the historical significance. So this is my question to you. Sure. You know, just it's just us and Twitter. Sure. Here. And the internet. <laughs> stop, stop <laughs> just, you know, no big deal. Uh, what would what have you wanted to say to white interviewers who were like, how does it feel to be a part of this historical? Duh, 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 duh. Oh, I mean, no, I I I get it. Yeah. They got asked the question. I don't begrudge them and it's nice to it's nice that they're interested mm -hmm. quite honestly and I, I get I get the drill you know we have to talk about this mm -hmm. stuff we have it's part of what we're doing is it's part of the conversation it's part of the conversation yeah. and, and and it's good that they're at least they're asking us mm -hmm. about it instead of telling us mm -hmm. what to you know what to think about it, what it means they're asking us what it means for us and so I, I don't begrudge anyone asking questions about the movie I mean Look, the press tour, we, we get the game. You know, we got to answer the same question like 50 different times. And I think most of the questions have been very respectful and, and people are trying to understand. I mean, <sighs> the thing about Asian culture is like, it's not a monolith. Mm -hmm. It gets very complicated, mm -hmm. you know, to go mm -hmm. Asians. It's like, man, there's, there's Japanese, there's Koreans, there's mm -hmm. Thais, there's mm -hmm. Burmese, there's Laotians, Indonesians, Filipinos. Mm -hmm. Then there's, you know, Asian people from Asia. Mm -hmm. you know, that, so that's the Asian American population. Then you have the Asian. So it, it gets very complicated. Right. So it, it requires nuance that... We all know the internet is really good at giving. Yeah, it's worth talking about. Well, I love you said uh, you knew you were going to get the part of Eddie. All you had to do was audition. And I was like, how, do, how were you so calm? Were you like, listen, I was born to be rich. My <laughs> no, I, no, look, that thing was, I mean, first of all, you, thanks for doing your research on that. You read the <laughs> different interviews. So we're, we're talking about new, you know, you're asking new <laughs> questions now, which is great. Um, uh, no, I mean, that was just self-belief and <laughs> probably foolish uh -huh. self-belief um that not too foolish because you got the part yeah i guess i got the part but um i when i saw the movie come out i i knew i needed to, if i could audition for it, i knew mm -hmm. i could book the role because i knew that world i knew i grew up in that world i'm still part of that world my mm -hmm. parents still living in singapore okay i mean this story i know very well the, the the character i know really well i know how to do the accent mm -hmm. it's the only accent i know how to do um so that's why I was like, I, I know I can get in on this. If I yeah. get audition, I know I can make an impression. That's, I love it. Yeah. And, and for people who haven't read the book and or haven't seen yeah. uh, the movie yet, I know it's coming out. Um, yeah. Tell them about Eddie, because I'm, I'm really excited to see this character on screen. Right. <laughs> so he's a extremely materialistic, uh, um, kind of uh, obnoxious, very status obsessed mm -hmm. uh, person. Uh, in some ways, he's the main villain of the movie. That's what I keep saying. <laughs> Uh, because the main character, Nick, uh, the dashing mm -hmm. Henry Golding, um, I'm the guy who will inherit the family wealth if he, for whatever reason, doesn't get it. So I'm mm -hmm. second in line. But um, so in a lot of ways, I'm like the, 
Uh, I joke about it. I'm the main villain of the of the movie, but I guess I kind of am. You know, he's just a huge douche, really. Is what it's, it's, it is. Which are, yeah. are pretty fun to play, I would imagine. Super fun to play. Very yeah. easy to play. Comes very natural to me. <laughs> um, investment banker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even acting. We have no familiarity with douchebags here in uh, New York. Right. I've never met an In BuzzFeed, everything's very friendly and millennial yeah. and PC, but... Yeah. No investment bankers here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, like, it's crazy rich Asians. I mean, the sets, the costumes, yeah. everything. Was there a scene in particular that was, like, especially over-the-top and really fun to shoot? Uh, really, the thing that was the most over-the-top about the movie was mm -hmm. us wearing three-piece suits in the tropics. That's what is Yeah, because it's really hot. It is really hot. It is so hot. Like, it's like Singapore, Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, yeah it's we, hot. we shot hot. in South, uh, Singapore and Malaysia. It, it's hot and humid. Mm -hmm. And we're wearing suits uh, out in the sun a lot of the time. Um, so that is the, the most over-the-top thing is the fact that you can't see us just dripping with sweat the entire movie. It could be crazy sweaty Asians is really what it could have easily become. <laughs> Did you have to change clothes a lot? To uh, oh, dude, we any, were... Any tips? No, we were just sweating through it. It didn't even matter. At okay. one point, we were just like, nothing helps, and let's just, we're just going to be sweating in this movie. But for, for some reason, it didn't come up on, on screen. So either great CGI or I don't know what they did with the sweat, but... There was, well, I watched, I've watched it a few times uh -huh. now, looking for the sweat, and uh -huh. I can some, I can only sometimes in some scenes I'm, I can see myself sweat a little bit. That's but you so have to funny. look very, very close. The yeah. magic of the magic. Yeah, of <laughs> yeah. Uh, shout out Vanya, the cinematographer. You know, shout out to you. And John Chu, the director. Shout out to you. Well, this isn't the only project you're working on. Right. Uh, you have a Comedy Central series, Ronnie Chang, International Student. It's available yeah. on the app. It's yeah. based on your time. Because you've been all over, like Australia. You studied law there. Yeah. Of course, you mentioned living in Singapore, yeah. New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, were there just, were you, when you were coming up and having these different experiences, were you, you know, already writing and thinking about like, oh, I'm totally going to turn this into comedy? Or is hell it no, about uh, no, absolutely not, no, no, <laughs> definitely not conceited enough to think that my life was interesting enough to write a show. But what did happen was, you know, I was in Australia at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I I started comedy in Australia, mm -hmm. and um, the TV network in Australia asked me to pitch a show mm -hmm. idea, and I knew that I needed to pitch a story that hasn't been told and mm -hmm. that only I could tell mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't get replaced mm -hmm. um, by someone more good looking. And so uh, I wrote this story about my life, which mm -hmm. I thought I, I can't be replaced in my own life, right? right. And so it, it's about uh, my time as a international student studying mm -hmm. in Australian university. And um, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting because the way the East interacts with the West right now is a lot through colleges and university. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like Asian people from Asia usually meet Westerners as, as peers. As international students. As yeah. peers as well, yeah. you know, as international students, but as peers mm -hmm. in the same, at the same level mm -hmm. uh, in college. And I think the same goes for Americans and Westerners meeting Asian people from Asia. Mm -hmm. They usually meet them in colleges. And so it's this weird intersection point. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, you know, it happens in Canada, America, the UK, Australia, all the white people countries mm -hmm. and, um, <laughs> Uh, it, it's a generational thing. Parents go overseas to study, they send their kids, they, they go back and then they send their kids there. So it's been happening for so long, but we don't really tell that, you know, know anything about it. So right. this is just kind of like my, my attempt to kind of capture that, that I love vibe. It. I yeah, love it, and bo both in Crazy Rich Asians and in your own show for uh, Comedy Central, it's yeah. like people who have not gotten to see their stories reflected on screen, either as international students yeah, yeah. or wealthy douchebags. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Are getting to see it, so yeah. I hope this is just the beginning of more and more. Thanks so much. Excited yeah. to talk to you, but, but but also more importantly, yes. more more importantly than just just diversity, they're actually good stories. You know what I mean? Worth seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worth, worth seeing. So it's not just diversity for the sake of diversity, yes. but it's cool storytelling mm -hmm. that happens to, to to show these perspectives. You know, that's what that's what's the the best about these things. I think. You better come on with the word, Ronnie. Yeah. <laughs> this morning. Yeah. All right. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us. No, this morning, me. friend. Thanks Again, Crazy Rich Asians is in theaters. Tomorrow, so excited to see it. Yeah. More AM to DM up next. I love it. Thanks sweat, a lot. Cause sweat is it's not sweat. Welcome back. Sorry about those technical difficulties, but we are all set going live again. Donna McAdams shared this tweet. The only thing I don't miss now that my kids are fully grown is back to school shopping. Wishing parents luck and a fully loaded bank account. Be prepared. You're not done. Supply list, God, I hated that. Just when you think you're done and boom, somebody needs a slide rule. 
This is Save the Day brought to you by Wendy's 4 for 4 meal and Krista Torres, a parent writer for BuzzFeed, is here to help us go back to school without going into debt. Good morning, Krista, how are you doing? Hi, I'm great, how are you? Thanks for having me. And thanks so much for coming on. I'll tell you, I'm doing great because I'm not that stressed about back to school shopping, but I totally <laughs> understand parents who are. According to NBC News, families with children in elementary school spend nearly $700 per, per kid on supplies. Why is it so damn expensive? <laughs> well, it is expensive, and that's mainly because all those little things add up. You do have the big things like the fancy calculator, so this can run you like over $100 alone, and just throwing different things in the cart. Um, all of that stuff can add up, but we do have a few tips today that will hopefully save you a little bit of money. All right, I appreciate that. So when is like the best time to do all of your back-to-school shopping? I would say that the best time is probably to space things out, you know, like don't do them all right away. So if you're waiting till the last minute, that probably means you're going to end up spending more money because all of the better priced items are going to be overpicked. Um, also, wait until you have a school supply list because otherwise you're going to be buying a ton of stuff that your kid really doesn't need. And all of a sudden you get hit with that last minute slide rule. Uh, Andrea tweeted, if your kids don't bash you in the ankles 15 times with the cart, are you even back to school shopping? Uh, but what, are, yeah, I don't know. Like what are better alternatives? Okay, I would say online shopping. That's kind of my area of expertise. The thing is, is you can't really wait until the last minute, you know, because of shipping and different things like that. But honestly, sometimes you can find better prices online. My kid really wanted this like, pencil box that would lock his stuff. It was like a locking pencil box. In the store, it was $19. I went online, found it for $9. So you can really save yourself a lot of time. And also you can read reviews. I find that that's like very handy. Um, there's also money saving apps. Those can be helpful as well. Those can be helpful as well. And also you're not dragging your kid through the aisles. All right, that makes sense. Uh, what are some other ways parents can collaborate with other parents or even teachers to save? Uh, well, you can uh, swap with your friends. Um, if you have a friend that said has a kid that's maybe a year older than your kid and they have some clothes that are still in decent shape or things like that, um, that can help you save on you know, back to school clothes. Or maybe there were some items that they bought, some supplies that they, their kid didn't use the year before. You know, so things like that are great that you can use for you know, your, your kid and you can swap with different things like that. Also, uh, if you're lucky enough to have a teacher friend, they also get teacher discounts. And hopefully, you know, you can buy some things with their discount. I love that. So start a group chat with other parents, swap, save, reuse, which is always really good. And then also, if you can get that teacher discount, good deal. All right, so right. I gotta ask, what are some of the most outrageous back to school items you've seen out there? Uh, I, God, there's so many. Um, I do, one of the like, you know, which, to each to his own there, I've seen like alligator skin backpacks, um, some of those types of just like fancy things, you know, that kids really want, but uh, you know, those can be like a thousand dollars or things like that. I would say that just remember, you know, like when you're buying in general, that a lot of teachers are spending stuff on their own dime. So if you got to get like dry erase markers, Kleenexes, things like that, it's really great, you know, to send those things to school with your kid. Absolutely, maybe think about helping the teacher first before you buy your kid an alligator skin backpack. <laughs> Krista, exactly. Krista, thank you so much for joining me this morning and good luck to you on your shopping. Thank you and good luck to all the back to school kids and parents. Amen, we are praying for you, thank you all uh, and good luck to everyone shopping. Up next, Saeed and I are going to read your tweets. Welcome back. I really enjoyed your chat with Ronnie, and I gotta ask, the, okay. the timeline was like, what are those socks? They oh, like, I didn't realize y'all couldn't see that. The, it, it was his face. It was just like his face all over the socks. He was wearing socks That's with really his cool. face? Like, face? Yeah, I, I love like, it. He does have that bold confidence. <laughs> <He does. laughs> I love it. I'm so, I'm so excited to see this movie. I feel like I would wear socks with your face on them. I don't know if I'd wear socks with my face on them. I'm gonna pray about this because I'm like I, I feel like I would wear socks with my face on them. I I think you I don't would. feel like you that too is beyond the realm of. But also, you know, confidence. I like I don't like really wearing socks. <laughs> you know, I, I, I live for the ankle, darling. I, he, I think I live for the. Ankle. He really does. Yeah, he, he has. It's just he has I feel free. Shoes. Makes me feel youthful. I don't know. Anyway, shoes. <laughs>
Don't come for me. Look at this. You see this? 2018 is tearing us against each other, turning us against each other. Nothing will remain. Anyway, let's talk about something far more calm and civil, Azealia Banks. Uh, we asked you to pitch us a TV show starring Azealia Banks, um, you know, Elon Musk and Grimes can have reoccurring roles. Um, Cindy <laughs> Martinez, this is what you had to say. Real Housewives of New York, but with Azealia Banks. And just Azealia Banks in rich women's homes. Just her, just... <laughs> just like going through it, being like nobody's clearly here. Clearly she doesn't need anyone there to have an argument. <laughs> she can... <laughs> she can have an argument with herself. Just put her in a fancy basement and let her go. <laughs> Jay also has a pitch for us, MTV Cribs, but Azalea just films Instagram stories See? from billionaires' homes. He gets She's it. She's halfway there. Because we remember, she did this with crew. Rihanna. We know yeah. she did this with Rihanna, where yeah. she was like, I was in Rihanna's basement writing songs. Rihanna was partying upstairs and never came down, and she's sitting down like a Coke and a can of peanuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I just like, you're saving money. Azalea Banks, she, she'll take all her own photos. She'll do all her own footage. I love it. Like, I just want to, I want to throw this in before we change the subject. I just want to say, I know Elon Elon Musk has demonstrated himself to be very eccentric. He's done a lot of stuff that, you know, he's like the Kanye of tech CEOs. The craziest thing, in my opinion, he has done is leave Azealia Banks alone in his mansion. I, you know, listen, if, if depose me SEC, you know, if you want to <laughs> talk about like, think, should they go back, or should they go private? I'm like, this is concerning investors. I, I will say, yeah. <laughs> Who's making these Ooh, choices? You want him designing a car? Let's end it on a nice note. Angel Nafis has a request. Please change the morning show's name to Moral Fortitude. That, of course, in response to Sarita's incredible appearance on the show. Oh, man. She Please killed read, it. read Sarita's writing. Check out her photography, her creative writing. She's just wonderful and, and just brings it all. Man. But Moral Fortitude. We need it. That'll be our <laughs> motto. We need it. <laughs> Tagline, moral fortitude, we need it. Oh my God, but to that point, Sarita, thank you for joining us. Ronnie Chang, again, Crazy Rich Mm. Asians, it's out tomorrow, I think. Uh, Kate Taylor, Emma Loop, Sean Lynn Ma of Zola, Stephanie McNeil and Krista Torres, thank you all. And shout out again to teachers and parents getting ready for back to school. Kids, y'all just- We're praying for you. The adults. Listen, thank you for watching. We'll be back here tomorrow, 10 a.m. It's gonna be Wednesday. Can't wait. Ah!